The text this morning is found in Ezekiel chapter 2, 1 through 5. The Lord said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when the Lord spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard the Lord speaking to me, saying to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Whether they refuse to hear you, for they are rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Bow and pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reading of your word. We ask that the message this morning speak to our hearts. Let it be from you, of you, Lord. This we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. There's an author who I, who I like. His name is René Girard. René Girard is a French literary critic, but also a philosopher of social science. And in his book, Scapegoat, what he does is he looks at the different religions or, or cults, and he sees that there's a distinctive difference between Jude- Judaism and Jude- Judo-Christianity and the other, other religions. And one prime distinction is the priority on remembering. Remember. When we look in the Old Testament, the people are told to remember, and the place is named after whatever event has happened. The people are to remember the Lord in that place. Our own sacrament, the Lord's Supper, we are told to remember, right? Do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering that Christ gave his life willingly, that it was not taken, that this was a part of God's plan. We are to remember that Christ died for our sins, right? So there's this, this huge emphasis on remembering. So with today's topic or title being, They Shall Know, which comes straight out of the text, I wanted to look at remembering and look at the importance of remembering, not just in our own lives, but but in our faith. So we're introduced to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is not only a priest, but Ezekiel is called to be a prophet. Do we know the difference between priest and prophet? Like, were you thinking, aren't they the same thing? Isn't a priest also a prophet? Well, think about it. Is, is a priest also a prophet? Not necessarily, 
love it. Because if he's already a priest, why would he have to be commissioned also as, as a prophet, right? So, distinction. A priest, the sanctuary, intercessor, was, was the person who was to go on behalf of the people before the Lord. Of a lot of cleansing, making sure the rituals were done properly so that the people were, sins were forgiven. It wasn't, notice, it wasn't an individual. Like, individuals going and saying, okay, bless me for I have sinned, right? You had one, you had the priest who went on behalf of the collective group. Sounds familiar, right? We have a call to confession, right? Where we all are going as a group to confess. Now, the prophet was the spokesperson or the mouthpiece for, for the Lord. So you didn't have to be a priest to be a prophet, right? And it, and it also makes it seem as though you don't, not every priest was, made, was a mouthpiece for the Lord. Because there are many times in the text when the priests aren't doing what the Lord wants. And so the Lord sends someone to speak on the Lord's behalf. So we have a clear distinction in roles. They can be the same person, but not necessarily. So Ezekiel is both priest and prophet. I want to hold on to that for one second and bring it into our contemporary times. Just because someone is a pastor, just because they've been to seminary, speak the right words, know the text, does not mean they are speaking on behalf of the Lord. I want to sit that down right there. All right. It just is. It just is. All right. So in Ezekiel, what he's seeking to do is answer the question of theodicy. There's another word, $10 word for you. Theodicy. How can good, how can God be good if so much evil exists? I know that question has been asked in my own life, but it's, it's a question that we all wrestle with, right? If God is so great, if I am truly blessed, if this is a truly believing people, why is this happening to us? Why are we experiencing all of this calamity? Why can't it just pass over us? Is there some blood on a doorpost that we can use so that the angel of death can miss, can miss this house? Right? The people are asking that. And so let's ask, what is going on then in the text that the people are starting to question the goodness of God? This is the nation of Israel. God has chosen these people, or God is known to be with known. God is known to be with this people, and yet they are questioning God's goodness. Well, they're in exile. They are occupied by the Babylonians. Those who are fortunate, if you want to call it that, are able to stay in the land, but then most of them have been spread out. Friends, family have been 
either killed or, or missing, and it's just a state of unknowing. They don't know what is to become of them. The king is a non-entity. The temple where God supposedly resides has been demolished. And the land that was promised to them is no longer theirs. So their identity, their culture, their religion upended. As a nation, they are asking, where is God? How can this be? This is not the norm. This is not normal at all. They are experiencing a collective trauma. If we bring it to today's context, I don't know, any collective trauma that the nation or the globe has experienced of late? I don't know. Anything come to mind? But collective trauma, it doesn't just affect one individual. It affects everyone in some way, shape, form, or another. So whether or not you lost a relative, you're not far removed from someone who has. Whether or not you've lost a job, you're not far removed from someone who has. Whether or not your children have been neg negatively impacted by it, someone you know has. A collective trauma. So collectively, in this time, we've been asking, where is God in all of this? I don't know. I don't see it. Collectively traumatized. And so that's how the children of Israel are at this moment. And Ezekiel is being called to minister to these people in this time. Sure, they're asking where is God, but quite frankly, they're not in the mindset to hear where is God. And that's why God has to prep Ezekiel and let him know not everyone is going to hear you. Not everyone is going to be able to receive the message that you have. But that's okay. You keep preaching it anyway. So that's our Ezekiel. And he has a message to give. Going back to the collective, one, two things comes from this. One, when asking about how can there be so much evil or how can the wicked still prosper, Ezekiel's task is also to tell or instruct the people that God doesn't desire the death of the wicked, right? Because if anyone does something that's wrong, we're like, get them. Get them, God, right now. Strike them down. They cut me off in traffic. I can't have that. Whatever it is, whatever it is, we want immediate retribution, immediate punishment for that individual, right? We have a list of those who we say are evil and wicked, and it seems like the list grows longer by the minute. And we're like, God, how are you allowing this to happen? And so one point is 
God doesn't desire the death of the wicked. God desires the repentance of the wicked. So sometimes the length that we have to endure, the time that we have to endure is because God is waiting on somebody. I want, I want to also bring this up. This message is to the children of Israel, remember? And the children of Israel are what? God's people. They have a covenant with God. And yet, when we look at the text, they're described as what? Rebellious? What? Stubborn? They transgress against me? So in the eyes of God, the very people who are supposed to be spreading the message out are the ones who are actually the wicked in the text. So when we call out for the wicked to be cleansed, in a way, we have to be certain that we're not on the opposite side. I want to drop that for a second, let it marinate a bit. Just slightly. Another thing, freedom. Freedom and responsibility of the individual. So although it's collective, just because the group is doing something does not mean that you have to go along with it. If that's not what God is calling you to do, if that's not the direction in which God is moving, just because of tradition, just because you like that person, doesn't mean that you just go along with it because it's what you've always done. Or you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Freedom and responsibility of the individual. So now let's get to the, the meat of this. They shall know. As I said it before, they were covenant people, but yet they were acting rebelliously. So according to one theologian, to be a rebel was to want to escape political independence. Wanting to have political independence, not being not, not having to be beholden to any other entity, nation, or group. They were rebels. So they were rebelling against God, wanting independence from God. They were also exhibiting indifferent behavior, meaning we don't care about worshiping. We don't care about doing justice, being kind, being merciful, loving. What, of what benefit is that to us? And they were considered dangerous. Why were they dangerous? If someone isn't beholden to any authority but their own, can you trust that individual to do goodwill? If the authority that the person recognizes comes from themselves, yet they claim God, 
can you trust that leadership? That's very dangerous. They are likened to scorpions and bears and, and other prickly pears. <laughs> they are considered a threat. And not just a threat to themselves, but think about it. These, again, I can't state this enough. They are the ones who are supposed to be going out into the world and talking about the Lord. If God is considering our message dangerous, and we go out into the world and share that, what are we doing to the faith? How are we jeopardizing the faith? And we, we've seen it in our culture. And I'm not going to say one versus another, no. What I'm going to state is there's a message that's going out that's antithetical to the gospel message. And a lot of us are just sitting and going, well, they say they're Christian. But is that the message that's coming from the Bible? Is that the message that's seeking justice, love, and mercy? Or is it a rebellious message that seeks to only have self-gain? Using any kind of device, any kind of theory, any kind of theology that will get them what they want and slapping a gospel label on top of it. They shall know. They shall know. So in this, th there's, there's kind of this split. I think there's a, a lot of times there is this kind of duality that we experience when in the text. Because on one hand, the people, the nation of Israel, they're, on the, they're antagonistic toward the Lord, right? They're on the outs with God. But then on the other hand, they're also the people who God has chosen to disseminate the message. So bringing it into our current context, we fit that duality as well. Because on one hand, we claim Christianity, and we generally, we generally know, know what that means. But then on the other hand, we say so many contradictory, we send out so many contradictory messages. We may live a contradictory life. Yeah, I feel that too. But they shall know. They shall know. The they in this context is the people of God. They shall know. It's not the world. It's not, oh, the world shall know that they're, they're from, from the Lord. No, no, no. God is cleaning house. God is saying to Ezekiel, they, they will know. So here's the flip then. Now God is talking about Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel is going out into the world in a hostile situation with people who claim Yahweh are dangerous, rebellious, quarrelous, empathetic, not empathetic, apathetic. And he has to minister to these people. His very life can be taken because he is speaking on behalf of Yahweh and they don't like it. But they will know. How will they know? 
How do you know when someone is speaking the word of God? Conviction? Conviction? How do you know when someone is saying what the Lord wants? I mean, at this very moment, right? (laughs) Sorry? Speak from the heart. Yes, 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 and more yes. It matches the text, maybe. They actually use the scripture. You can point to it and go, yes, and it's not a repu- and it's not an interpretation that seeks to do harm. If the person who's speaking and says that they are from God and constantly, constantly, constantly is speaking violence and terror and anger and threats and discord, it's like, what? Is that, is that of God? Like constant, 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 constant. So, I'll help you out some more. A theologian, Nancy Bowen, she lists some things, and we've, we've already mentioned them. One, the message is compatible with Scripture. What's being preached, you can point to it, and it's not this kind of that's a stretch interpretation. It's like, I guess if I squint, step back, lean over a little bit, I can see where you got that from. I like this one, because this one is the Ezekiel part, and it's, for, for ministers, it's, it's difficult because, you know, keep the lights on. But the message may be unpopular. It may not be what you want to hear. It may not speak to your soul in a way that's affirming, in a way that's like, yeah, keep doing what you've been doing. It may call for change. It may say that what you've been doing, how you've been doing it, let's go in the opposite direction. And then this one, too. Not seeking personal fame or financial gain. Is your message a, a message that drives people to the, to the bank? To deposit? Is your message one that seeks to get more followers? And this can be, this definitely minister, right? But also people of God. Why do you say you believe what you believe? Why are you choosing to fall on that sword? Why is that principle or that doctrine so important to you? What are you gaining from it? Why do, you, why do you not want to hear another side? All right. So what do we get from this? What's the point, right? The point, to not forget. To not forget. To know. To know what? To know that the Lord is God. To know that regardless of what you may be experiencing, what you may be going through, how unpopular it might be, how you may be feeling at the time. Remember who God is. Remember the relationship that we have with God. And just as God has brought us out of one situation 
God can do it again. Remember. 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 